Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Good to see you guys. Hey, my name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Journey, and I get the privilege to share God's word with you today. Uh, before we go there, I've got a few uh, just other couple announcements. Um, Brittany had mentioned it in uh, the video announcement, but if you haven't grabbed one of these 30-day challenges yet, uh, they're back here on the uh, music stand on your way out. Uh, Brittany and I went ahead and grabbed some of these as well, and we were able to fill out just some stuff that we're looking for victory in our lives with, some some things that we're going to commit to as far as reading the word and uh, and, and praying together. And, and just because my boss is in here, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to brown nose or anything, but this was a great idea, Aaron. So just, just so you know, thanks for putting this out uh, for us. It's been something that's been good for me and my family. Uh, the other thing is, is that Abby Field, who is our uh, youth uh, administrator, our Rise Youth Administrator, uh, she had to factory reset her phone, and so she lost all of her numbers that she was texting to give youth updates to. And so if you would like to stay uh, in those youth updates, please text her back at um, this phone number here. I'll, if you need it, uh, you can get me after the service, but if you're ready right now, it's 307 Six eight zero five seven four five, and that's you just send your first and your last name, and you'll get all of the updates for Rise Youth Group. So that's a bummer when that stuff happens. But if you just text her uh, to that phone number, you'll be able to stay uh, stay connected with everything that's going on in Rise Youth. So that's all the announcements I have today for that. But today I want to let you know that we are going to be looking at a story from Scripture of an unlikely conversion, right? Of a man that we know, as, as Christina said, the man of Saul of Tarsus, who eventually becomes the apostle that we know as Paul. You know, I like these kind of conversions and testimonies and transformations of people because everybody has people that they are, they think are most like unlikely to get saved, right? You think, oh, well, they could never get saved, or I, I could never see that happening to them. They're not even looking for God. But after today's message, I hope that you will rethink that because after being refreshed with this testimony of Saul of Tarsus, honestly, I think if Saul can be saved, anybody can be saved. 
So this morning, go ahead, grab your Bibles if you have them and flip over to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 will be right at the top of that. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a few different uh, positions of who Saul was before he became Paul. But before we go there, let's pray and just ask God to bless our time, huh? God, thank you so much for today, for this time that we get to sing your praises. God, your word tells us time and time again how important it is to sing our to sing songs to you and to lift our hands. Um, God, the, the biggest book in the Bible is a book of music. And so we just thank you for all those beautiful songs that you wrote and for giving us those truths of who you are that we get to uh, just project with one voice from this sanctuary. God, thank you for the time we have to fellowship, the time we have to study your word today. And I just pray that, God, even though I'm, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, that my, my voice feels like it's going, God, that you would still speak and that you would be clear. Not me, but you, Lord. Be clear through your word and what you have given us. Thank you for who you are. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at this morning is the persecution that Paul, or I'm sorry, that Saul was bringing to the church, the persecution. So again, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, let's just start there. Verse 1, Saul agreed with putting him to death. That would be Stephen, all right? So Stephen in Acts chapter 7, see we get one verse in and we're already breaking this apart. This is good stuff. Well, Stephen in Acts chapter 7 was the first Christian martyr that we see. What he had done was he had become a follower of Jesus. And there's a bunch of Jewish people who are just ticked off about this because he's going around telling them that, hey, you can be saved. It's not by the things you do. It's not by following these Jewish rules or these laws, but it's about following Jesus above all else. And so he gets uh, put on trial, and, and these, these guys ask him, all right, tell us your testimony, right? And they're, they're looking for probably just a short little thing. Well, Stephen's a preacher, so he's got to take at least 30 minutes to tell his story. And he starts over at the beginning with Abraham, and he starts going through the history of all this Jewish stuff that was happening. And then finally, he gets to the end and starts talking about them being stiff-necked and not listening to the words. And the Jews, they just start covering their ears like toddlers because they don't want to hear what he's saying. And what happens is that Saul of Tarsus allows them and agrees with them to grab stones and stone Stephen to death. So that is where Saul agreed with putting him to death. And it goes on. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter the house or he would enter house after house and drag off men and women and put them into prison. So Saul is just this giant bully to these new followers of Christ. But we all really like it when bullies get what they deserve, don't we? You know, I tell you, like a movie scene where a kid actually stands up for what he believes in, I, and that gets me just cheering him on. I don't, he's so little, and usually his, his guy is so big that he's got to fight, but there's just that inner sense of justice that comes out of that situation. 
for those of you who know me, you know that I love Marvel superheroes. There's something about that that never left me. I've loved them for a long time, right? The, the comics, the movies, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is one of those awesome things that God has blessed us with on this side of heaven, right? In, in Jesus' name, of course. But when I think about a bully getting what they deserve, I always think about Steve Rogers, who is Captain America. Right In the first movie, when he's asked by one of the scientists, he's like, hey, do you want to go and kill Nazis? And he stops. He says, no, I don't want to kill anyone. I don't like bullies, and I don't care where they're from. It doesn't matter where these bullies are from, if they're from Tarsus, like Saul was, or maybe Nazi Germany, or Gillette, Wyoming. Sadly, hopefully not, maybe Journey Church. But I would be, or it would be easy, I think, for us to view Saul as just this theological bully. Right? Someone who's been yelling at these Christians for so long because, well, you've been teaching these things incorrectly and you're wrong and this is a heresy and I want to stomp this out. However, just viewing it as him being a bully is, is not really what was happening in the first century here. Saul, he went, what it said in the, our, our verse there was Saul went from house to house looking for Christians to arrest and then eventually they would be put to death and executed. That type of violent persecution where someone is seeking out those who they want to destroy, we, we can't make light of that difficult situation. Right? We would have to imagine, again, the Holocaust in Germany or the persecution of Christians in these iron-fisted nations to understand the fear people would have of the hate for someone else. So let's keep going. It, it picks up in Saul's story again after that portion in Acts 9. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and flip to Acts chapter 9, and we'll kick off in verse 1 here. It says, now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he, Saul, found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Man, that, that text, that original language of where it says he is still breathing threats and murder means to actually inhale and exhale those threats. His, his murders and threats have become the very breath of his existence. The very breath of his life is to wipe out these people. He's breathing it in and he's breathing it out. And that's all he can think about. He is angry and violent toward this movement of early Christianity. And it's starting to move northward on the map. And so what he's doing is he got a letter from the high priest to go to Damascus and start arresting some more of these people. Well, with this mission as his very breath, we can easily see that Saul, he sincerely believed he was doing the right thing, didn't he? He really thought he was doing the, the right thing. He was sincere in it, but it turns out he was sincerely wrong. You know, I remember uh, when I first started hearing about ISIS many years ago and, and everything that they were doing, right? They were very sincere in what they believed. Right? They were putting their lives on the line. They were giving up their families and their friends, possibly time. Uh, they were just uh, isolated from other people. They were willing to cut other people's heads off for the sincerity of what they believed in. But sincerity isn't enough. You know, but hopefully on a much smaller note than ISIS, 
How often have we thought that we were doing the right things in our lives, and then they just turn around to bite us, right? Right? We thought that we were supposed to take this job, or, or we thought that we were supposed to marry this person, or, you know, maybe if I can just iron this person out and what they think and what they believe, then, then it'll be all better. You know, it, we thought for sure that fill in the blank. Like I said, Saul of Tarsus at this point, he was being very sincere about his religious beliefs, but he was sincerely wrong. You know, Paul himself even references of how wrong he was in a few places in Scripture. Uh, one part, he says that he was the chief of sinners. In 1 Timothy, he says it this way. He says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to ministry, even though, I love those even though statements, because we all have an even though story. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief. Right there, he's saying, I was sincerely wrong. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Man, it's so good to know that he received mercy even when he was sincerely wrong. And we still do that today when we seek him. Here, we see, again, who, who Saul made it his very breath to get rid of. It didn't say Christians, but it said the way. That was the first name for followers of Jesus back then that we see in the Bible. Maybe it came out of John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm, I'm not exactly sure where that came about. But what's interesting to me is that that word, the way, in Greek is the word hadas. And in some places in scripture, it's just referencing like a road or a pathway to, to get somewhere. But here, it's being used as a metaphor for the believers. The name the way means that Christianity is just more than a belief or it's more than a set of opinions or a set of doctrines. Following Jesus is a way of living as well as believing. It's the same way we think of this place that we're sitting in right now, Journey Church, right? Our church. That's what Aaron has preached since the beginning. This is our church. It's not mine. It's ours together. And the fact that it is a journey, it is a hadas, is telling us that it doesn't matter what happened in our BC days. Because when it comes to Christ, we are now on a journey to change our ways of thinking, feeling, and deciding to become more like Jesus and not who we were before him. We've seen how things work. Well, at least I've seen how things work when I try to control them. It ain't good. It ain't pretty. It doesn't work. But when we surrender our will to the will of God, he will do better with it than we will. And that's a fact. So we've seen Saul at this point persecuting the church and the persecution that he's been bringing to the way, to the followers of Jesus. But now let's look at this confrontation that he's about to have with Jesus himself. It's in Acts 9. We'll start in verse 3. Here we go. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? said Saul. 
I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So, Paul doesn't actually know it's Jesus yet. If, if you didn't either, spoiler alert, ta-da, it's Jesus, right? But now, and, and I don't know about you, but reading this portion really makes me think, God, sometimes I wish you would just come down and just hit me with a bolt of light or something so that I could understand what you're doing and what you want me to do and say. Turns out he doesn't do that a lot. I don't know if you've ever had that. Um, if, if you did, talk to me later. That's a cool story. I've never had this happen before. But here it did. You know, in Acts chapter 22, Paul actually mentions that this happened in midday. It was the brightest part of the day. And then later in Acts 26, when he's given his testimony again, he said that the light was actually brighter than the sun. It was massively bright that it knocked him to the ground. But I love how God confronts Saul here, right? Saul isn't at a Billy Graham crusade, right? He's not in his car or walking along listening to Caleb. He isn't on his knees praying. But what is he doing? He's walking in violent anger to Damascus to murder people and throw them into prison. That's where Jesus confronts him. What does that tell you? tells me that Jesus can meet anyone anywhere, right? It doesn't have to be at church or Hills Alive or wherever you're at. I know God didn't remind me of who he was when I was sitting in a pew, I'll tell you that. God didn't remind me of who he was sitting in a pew. But all in all, it's just comforting to know that God can meet us anywhere and you can use anything to get our attention, And God reminded me of who I was to him and who he was in a very uncommon location and in a very uncommon way, just like he did to Saul here. And then if you keep going on, it says, Saul asks, who are you, Lord? Okay, that's a great question. He doesn't know yet that it's Jesus that he's persecuting. So he says, who are you, Lord? And I want to pause there because that question that he asks is the right question that we all need to ask today. Who are you, Lord? As we're looking at the scriptures, that is a beautiful question that we also have to ask ourselves. You know, most people, we, we have questions that we want to ask God. There's, there's things in our mind like, I would love to know what God was thinking when, when this happened. Uh, back in the 90s, there was a study done by uh, the Gallup Society or, that did surveys. And um, they asked people to choose three questions that they would most like to ask God. And here were the top five responses. The first one was this. Will there ever be lasting world peace? Will there ever be lasting world peace? Number two, how can I be a better person? Number three, what does the future hold for my family and me? Number four, will there ever be a cure for all diseases? And then the number five question is, why is there suffering in the world? You know, it's strange to me that that people would want to ask God these questions because they're actually already answered in the scriptures, right? But, but they really aren't the most important questions to ask. Saul, however, he started out by asking the right question, asking, who are you, Lord? Have you asked that question in your own life today? Have you asked God, who are you? 
And have you searched him out to see who he really is? If not, make that today, okay? Well, let's keep going. And the voice says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Oh, boy. Saul knows who Jesus is, right? But what he does here is probably exactly what I would start doing. And Saul doesn't do that, actually. This is what I would do. Okay, so I better make that clear. But I would start arguing with God at this point. Right, which usually doesn't end up well for me anyways. Like I try to argue with God. It, I never win, so I just need to stop it. But here's what I would probably do is say, well, I'm persecuting you. No, Lord, I'm not persecuting you. I'm just persecuting these, these people over here, these followers of yours. These, these so-called Christians, Jesus, have you seen them? They're the worst. Have you seen these guys, what they're doing to other people? They're spreading these false rumors about the true Judaism and and who the Messiah is. But also, have you seen what they did? Have you seen how they treat one another? You know, today he might say, have you seen how they throw stones at their own people instead of actually trying to help them? No, how are they supposed to love each other? Aren't they supposed to love each other and those that they don't know yet? But instead, why are they criticizing each other and telling them, oh, well, you got to do it my way or you got to do it my way? No, these guys are doing it all wrong because, well, you know, they're messed up and flawed people. But I'm here to iron them out for you, Jesus. That's what Saul's saying here. He said, I'm not persecuting you, just these other people. But what's interesting is Jesus lays it out pretty thick here, doesn't he? He says, if, if you're messing with my people, then you're messing with me. That's what he's telling us here. If you mess with God's people, then you're messing with him. You know, there are so many things that amaze me about Jesus and how he responds to things. And, and one of them is this simple truth that um, he's better than me. Right? He's better than you too. I know a lot of you. He's better than you too. It's okay. We're all in this together. But he is much better than me. And it really shows right here. Because I tell you, when somebody does something wrong to me or to my wife or my kids or my family, my friends, people I care about, you know, I got to be honest with you. My first response, if, if I knock somebody to the ground, it wouldn't be, hey, okay, get up now, go, and uh, I'll tell you what to do from here. It's usually not my first response. It's like, you hurt me, then just, then just stay down. All right, because I'm done with you at this point. I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear from you again, and I don't want to talk to you. That would be my response. So praise God that Jesus is better than me and different than me and different than all of us. Because here's this guy named Saul who is responsible for the first Christian martyr. Right? He's responsible for his death. He also is responsible for breaking up countless families and marriages and ruining people's lives by throwing innocent people into prisons. Did you know that years later, a guy named Caesar would come along? He, he would grab these people that Saul actually had thrown into prison, and then Caesar would take these guys, throw them into an arena as a halftime show to get killed by lions and gladiators just as entertainment. That's historically fact. And the only reason that these people are in prison is because this guy named Saul had them thrown in there because he thought that they didn't believe the right stuff about God. Let's move on. Verse 7. The men who were traveling with him, that's with Saul, stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, 
he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. So after this confrontation that Paul has, it's now going to move into a portion of a commission. And it's not even just the commission of Saul becoming Paul and then moving into his ministry. But we're going to see the commission of another guy who's named Ananias. And we see his portion of the story in Acts 10. Let's pick it up there. Acts 10 is where we'll view the commission. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight. Now, that street is actually still in Damascus today. I think it's called something else, but it is the main, like, main street that goes down Damascus. It's the widest and the longest street that they have there. I think it's one of the oldest streets uh, in history that is still standing. So pretty cool to have that history there. Uh, Go to a street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, not the same Judas that betrayed Jesus, different Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. Yeah, I'd be praying too after that. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And so the next portion that we're going to go into is Ananias' response and how he is going to respond to Jesus and, and, and talk about this with God, right? Let's keep going. Verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Okay, let me put this in Stephen terms for you. Ananias said this. You want me to do what? (laughs) To who? No way, God. Dear God, that's a horrible idea. In Jesus' name, amen. That was his prayer at that point. (laughs) Ananias is telling God all about this guy and what he's done against his people. Like, Jesus doesn't already know what's been going on, but Ananias makes this case but he's, he's telling him, he's like, God, this guy is the enemy. He is the worst. We don't like him. We certainly don't want to volunteer to go and help him. That's just dumb. Verse 15, look how God responds to him here. He says, but the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. Man, I love that the Gentiles are listed first there. Because up until this point, the only people that were becoming Christians were the Jews, right? The Jewish people. But God is going to use Saul to open it up to the rest of the Gentiles to show them that, hey, salvation does not just belong to the Jews, but it belongs to the Gentiles, which is all of us. It belongs to the Gentiles. And he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So, all in all, here is what Jesus is telling Ananias here. He says, hey, Ananias, or today he'd be saying, hey, Journey Church, this isn't your job or responsibility to decide who God uses and who God can't use. It's like, that's not your deal. It's not your job to figure out who God has forgiven and who God ought to punish. It's not our responsibility to say, well, you know, this person's disqualified from ministry because they did this 12 or 13 times. But Oh, but this person's okay. 
That's not our job. God looks at Ananias and he looks at all of us in this room and those of us watching online this morning. He looks at all of us and he says, that's my job. And what I'm doing is between me and Saul. He said the same thing to Peter later in in the Gospel of John when Peter's like, but what are you going to do about John? And Jesus says, you don't worry about him. You worry about you. All right? So you just do what I told you to do. Nothing more and nothing less. Verse 17. Ananias went and entered the house. Must be a little nervous. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ananias, again, he is a disciple of the Lord Jesus, right? So he is going to obey him even though he was afraid. Even though he was scared, in spite of that fear, he's going to obey God about going to his enemy. What's amazing is that Ananias didn't just yell out from the road and try to see if there was anyone there to arrest him first. But what does it say he does? It just says he went into the house, he put his hands on him, and then he calls him what? Brother. Seriously, five minutes ago, you guys just hated each other. You sound like my toddlers, really and truly. I hate you, I love you, I hate you. Five minutes ago, these guys hated each other, and now he looks at him and he calls him his brother. But that's the power that the gospel has and the power that Jesus has in our lives when we surrender to him to change our hearts to become more like his, into his image. Well, uh, some of us know this, but Saul, he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He studied under this teacher named Gamaliel, and Gamaliel was brilliant. He was the guy you wanted to learn from. And Saul got to learn from him, and so Saul knew all this Hebrew. He knew all the backstory. He knew all there was to know about this stuff inside and out. And so when he heard this Greek name, Ananias, it wouldn't surprise me that if his brain started thinking, well, he's going to send this Jesus follower to me, And in Hebrew, his name would be Hananiah, which actually turns out to mean that the Lord shows and gives grace. So here's what happened. Saul is sitting in this chair or on the edge of a bed. He's blind. He's waiting for Jesus to do something. And then in walks this guy whose very name is what Saul is going to get and receive that day. Grace from God. Saul is going to receive grace from God, even though his past was extremely shady. Verse 18. And at once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength, and Saul was, the, and Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. What happened here is that something finally clicked. He had that aha moment in his life, didn't he? Right? He finally saw not only what he was doing wrong, but he saw what he had to change in his life, the things that needed to be different from now on. Right? I can see. I don't know if you guys know the story about uh, John Newton. Uh, John Newton was uh, an Englishman, and uh, he was a slave trader, uh, 
doing all of that back in England and getting people uh, to be slaves. But uh, he wrote, later in his life, he wrote a pretty famous song called Amazing Grace. I don't know, maybe you've heard it. It's uh, pretty popular. But he wrote this song after he had this encounter with Jesus. And I, and I can't help but wonder if after everything he had done, everything in his past, if there wasn't some kind of light that went off in his head, he's like, oh, Lord, what have I done? Kind of like this testimony of Saul here. And he now sees what he did wrong. Right? His song even says, I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. And did he have that same kind of moment that Saul did when he was a slave trader? Because no doubt John Newton ruined a ton of families. He ruined a ton of lives all because he thought these people should just be property instead of viewing them as children of God. But later in his life, once he saw what he did and what needed to change, he became one of the biggest leaders to help free the slaves and to get them to safety. And so I don't know if you noticed this at all, but Saul went from a persecutor to a pastor, right? He goes from Saul to Paul. And there's about six things that I want to highlight just as a summary for you to show you what happened here. Number one, Saul screwed up his own life and many others. Number two, because Jesus loves Saul, he has a plan for his life, and Jesus does whatever he needed to to get his attention. Number three, Saul pays attention this time, but is still in the dark because he doesn't understand what's going on yet. Number four, Jesus sends Saul a message, and it goes something like this. I'm offering you grace and forgiveness instead of punishment if you want it. And I will send my spirit to come and dwell inside of you. Number five, Saul accepts the forgiveness, excuse me, and sees life through God's eyes. And then lastly, Saul gets up, he gets baptized, and he starts a new life as Paul the Apostle. What a nice story. Yay, so pretty. But I think some of you can see where I'm going with this. If you don't, that's okay. Listen up. This story can be your story. This story can be your story. Because all through your life, there have been parts or moments in the past or here in the present, and, and if not, you're going to see them in the future, where God is clearly trying to get your attention. Right? You can argue with me, but, but I guarantee if you look back over all of your life, you can go, yeah, in high school or in college or, yeah, maybe that spring break trip I took to Cancun. Oh, God was really trying to get my attention there. At those moments in life when God was trying to reach you, why didn't you listen? Now, there are moments like that for me and in college, absolutely, is where I really started to see them. But honestly, I, I didn't listen to God because I didn't want to. That was the reason. I wanted to stay in my sin and do what I thought was fun at the time and what I wanted to do. But it turns out that road that I thought that was just fun in games was headed to a dead end where the road gives out. There's no more pavement and there's a cliff on the very end just waiting to swallow me up. You know, maybe God's talking to you today and you know it, but you're still just you're stiff arming him and not wanting to listen to him. You keep telling him no. 
But the question here is, is what is it going to take for us to pay attention to what God is telling us to do? What has God been trying to tell you, but you, you keep telling God just to leave you alone? A follow-up question, what, what has to happen maybe before you actually pay attention to what God is telling you? And I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but, but I'm trying to get real and, and to get your attention. Because maybe you have to lose everything again. Maybe you're like the prodigal son who has to be covered in pig slop before you come to your senses and come home. Or do you have to be like Saul and wait till you get knocked to the ground so that things get so bad that now, oh, geez, now I have to pay attention because if I don't, I'm going to lose it all. And maybe it's, is it going to jail? Is it another divorce? Right, what is it? Is it an affair? Is it a runaway kid? Is it that cancer diagnosis, a car wreck, the death of a loved one? Is that what it's going to take for some of us to listen to what God has for us in this life now instead of waiting until later when it gets so bad? Here's another question. I got a lot of questions for you today. Why do we have to wait? And realize I said we. Why do we have to wait for our lives to fall apart before we listen to God? You know, what is, what is it going to keep us? What is it that keeps us from doing what God is calling us to do right now? Now, maybe there's some things that we're embarrassed that have happened in our past or that are currently going on in our present. You know, some things that we know people will look at us weird for if we were to say it. Guess what? You're not alone because I get it. All right? I've got stuff too. Me too. Right? I've got stuff like that in my past too. If, if some of you knew the stuff in my past, then you'd probably take a vote and say, yeah, Stephen can't be a pastor here anymore, and you'd run me out of here. Right? And don't ask me after the service what that stuff was. It's none of your business. It's between me and God. We got to figure it out. But I'm just saying that we've, we've all got stuff. And if God can transform Saul into this man named Paul, then what's stopping you? If God can take a Christian murderer and turn him into the one of the biggest influences for the gospel of Jesus Christ that's ever been happened in history, then what makes you think that you're too far gone? Jesus paid the price for our screw-ups, for our sins. He paid the price of our mistakes by dying on a cross and then rising again in three days so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But here's the caveat. The choice is yours. You have to make that decision. All right? God loves you way too much to just leave you in that sin. Right? The price was too high. It was the price of God's blood spilled for you. And so as we close today, I just want us all to stand and we're going to read John 3:16 together because there's so much simplicity and there's so much depth inside of the truth of this that we need to walk away with this reminder. Let's stand and say this together. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God, we thank you for this morning, for this time that we've had together to read your word, to look at this magnificent transformation of a man named Saul to a man named Paul. God, I ask that you would do that in our own lives as we wrestle with the questions of who are you and what is it going to take for me to listen to you? And God, I know you're telling me something, but I've just been stiff-arming you for so long. God, help us to not do that anymore. Help us to listen to you and follow you and to be followers of you, Jesus. Help us to be the way as they were back then. God, thank you again for the, the depth and the simplicity of your love. Just a wonderful reminder as we go into the world now. God, help us not to just leave church here, but help us to go out and be the church to this world and to spread this message to others so that they would have hope and freedom inside of Jesus Christ. And it's in your name that we pray this, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Go in peace. We'll see you later. Hey, thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.